God, we ask that you would meet us here in this place as we open up your word, uh, that you would take this word, uh, you would make something of it, that it would find some fertile soil in our hearts that would lead us into a deeper and more meaningful relationship with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, uh, for those of you who are here, Pastor Keenan Barber was preaching where Jesus challenged us to figure out how to learn to let go of our anger. A really challenging message. If you didn't hear that sermon, um, you should. And you can listen to that online. It's really, really worthwhile. And today, we're going to be challenged uh, quite a bit as well. Uh, Challenged to behave in some kind of really, what I think are surprising and astonishing ways that can either really uh, negatively or positively influence the world around us. And so Jesus is going to call us to some surprising behavior, behavior that if lived out uh, can change our, certainly our communities and, and change the world. He's going to demonstrate what I would call maybe a new or a different way of, of being human, a way that refuses to allow us to get stuck in the same old patterns of living. And so there was a, once a father, he had to go away on a short business trip for a few days, and he was really anxious and nervous about um, how his wife was going to be properly looked after while he was away. And he had a nine-year-old son, so he grabbed him, he pulled him aside, and he wanted to have a little chat with his nine-year-old. And he said, when I'm away, I want you to really take care of your mother. I want you to think about all the things that I would normally do if I were here, and then you do them while I'm gone. And so we had in mind, of course, things like clearing the kitchen and cleaning the dishes and taking out the trash, keeping things nice and clean and tidy. And his son nodded his head. He understood what his dad was asking. He promised to do exactly what his father would have done while he was away. And so he's away on his trip. He's thinking about how this is going. He returns from his business trip. He's eager to ask his wife, how did it go uh, with our son? And she said, well, it was really strange. Immediately after breakfast, he made a second cup of coffee. And then he marched into the living room, sat in your chair, pulled out the sports page, and read it for 30 minutes. (laughs) And the father kind of scratched his head and thought, maybe his son was a little too literal. Uh, Maybe he obeyed him a little too accurately. Not exactly what he had in mind, but... The thing about the Sermon on the Mount, which we find ourselves in here at Lightshine, it's part of the lectionary uh, text for where we find ourselves. The thing about the Sermon on the Mount is we're told that we're supposed to be watching carefully what our Heavenly Father is doing and then to go and do the same ourselves. And the question will be, will our behavior be surprising in such a way that it causes other people to actually pause and think about the God that we're imitating. And so uh, we read this scripture, well done, by the way, Bob. If I read it, it would have just been so boring. That was really well done. Um, In that scripture that Bob read for us, we really have this three-part pattern. We have the traditional teaching, where he says, you've heard it said. We have Jesus' kind of new teaching. He says, but I say to you. And then the third part is we have these surprising and creative ways that we're called and challenged to live Jesus' new way, right? And so revenge-seeking is certainly nothing new. Imagine 
a world without a court system, without police, without local, state, federal government, um, no ruling authority over you and your neighbor in, uh, insults you, or maybe even roughs up one of your kids, knocking out a couple of her teeth? What do you do? In the ancient world, even a slight injury to a family member could actually be avenged by the killing of one or more persons in the offending family. This is serious stuff. Violence and revenge were just completely unchecked. So we think of, this is the way my mind works, I of course thought of the classic 1972 movie, The Godfather. Any fans? Yeah. All right. So The Godfather, where this story of Michael Corleone was transformed from this reluctant family outsider to a ruthless mafia boss. And here's how the movie starts. The film begins with The Undertaker. I think his name was Bonacera, if I remember this correct. He's asking The Godfather to avenge a violent beating committed against his daughter. The legal system had failed them. The two men who had beat his girls uh, were free. And so he stands in line, he waits to talk to the Godfather, and Vito, uh, the Godfather, listens to his request. Vito believes in an eye-for-an-eye justice. He refused to have these people killed, but he gives them exactly what everybody wants them to get and believes that they deserve. He gives them a good old beatdown of their own for what they did to this man's daughter. Now, Don Vito was following the traditional teaching. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This, people call the law of the tooth, was actually a significant advancement in human history. It sought real justice, and it checked unbridled revenge, limiting retaliation to make sure that it was only equal to, but not greater than, the offense committed. And so when Michael... Corleone takes over as the godfather, things escalate a little bit if we remember the movie. An eye will be avenged by a vendetta. Many people would die as because of uh, one person's mistake. Now, when we think about this, justice continues to be required in all civilized societies. The law of the tooth reminds us even today that God cares about injustice. God doesn't want injustice to go unpunished. Now, that said, Jesus wants his community, the church. He wants people like you and I. He wants us to keep his new command. He wants us to consider a new, more excellent way of being human. But Jesus' new way of being human has often been called impractical, by many impossible. And it largely stems from a, pro a problem of translation. The Greek here that's been translated into English, in the NRSV, it says, do not resist an evildoer. But that misses Jesus' point completely. The two Greek words would be better translated like this, do not try to get even with. Do not seek revenge on. Or do not try to pay back. Pay back. We are to resist. But we are supposed to refuse to seek revenge for a wrong. And so we know that Jesus' words are really consistent with the rest of Scripture. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans 12, 17. He said, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought of what is noble in the sight of all. And so if someone has done you wrong, you don't compound it 
with another wrong. But Jesus is challenging us to find these new, surprising, and creative ways to stop these vicious cycles. It's ridiculously difficult to live out, but it's certainly not impossible. In 1966, after several successful demonstrations in the South, Martin Luther King Jr. chose Chicago, Big Al's city right now, as the next destination to take on this problem of segregation. And so he believed that love was the value by which we could overcome racial strife in this country, and that God enabled people to respond to their enemies in surprising and creative ways. So he rented an apartment in the slums of North Lawndale, and on Friday afternoon in August, he led about 700 marchers to Marquette Park on Chicago's south side. This is sad. Thousands of white people showed up. They gathered to taunt King and the marchers. One sign even read, King would look better with a knife in his back. This is what this man was up against. At one point, he was struck by a brick in the head. He fell down, he took a knee, he was surrounded by his security guards. They were urging him to go to the hospital, to hang it up, to quit. 30 people, including King, were hurt at that march. It was the most hateful and hostile march that he had ever been a part of. He later said this. He said, I have to do this to expose myself to bring this hate into the open. As a result of his surprising work in Chicago, the real estate board ended its opposition to open housing. And King said that it was the first step in a thousand-mile journey. Our immediate reaction to evil is to get even. It's to pay back. Jesus wants us to be more creative than that, to surprise the enemy, to refuse the nasty looks, the words spoken behind people's backs, to refuse the escalating violence of vendettas for a new way, a better way, a more excellent way, for Jesus' way. He's not suggesting that we offer ourselves as doormats to be stepped on. This is really important. But rather to turn and face the enemy bravely, but calmly, with courage and with poise. Disciples of Jesus are called to administer justice, but in new and surprising and creative ways. Jesus gives us hints of what this would look like. He says, when slapped, offer the other cheek. Most likely, this is a reference to this kind of backhanded slap of an insult that's given to belittle you, to make you feel inferior. Jesus' creative solution ending this cycle of violence is to stand tall, to expose yourself to evil like Dr. King did. But the thing is, is not as an inferior, as an equal. And so he says, when a person wants to sue you, seek your shirt, give him your coat as well. In Jesus' day, they only wore those two garments, which meant that if you gave them both of your garments, you were standing there, stark naked. He's saying, shame the rich and the powerful by exposing their injustice. That's resistance. I got news for you. 
A Roman soldier could legally bully a civilian into carrying their equipment for one mile, but no further. This was a great humiliation, referring to these human beings like a beast of burden. Roman soldiers were despised for this. Turn the tables, says Jesus, surprise them. Malcolm X, he objected to Dr. King's Jesus-like methods, but these methods changed our nation. Imitate the generosity of God. Carry it for two miles. One brilliant commentator wrote this, and I absolutely love it. He wrote, the first mile renders unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But the second mile, by meeting the opposition with kindness, renders to God the things that are God's. Jesus then ratchets up the pressure. It goes from difficult to more difficult. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Really? Like, do we have to? This is where Jesus is totally unique. Disciples are to love even their enemies unconditionally. Now, the Old Testament doesn't ever command us to hate the enemy, but it is often spiteful toward people that they consider to be enemies of God. The problem with hatred is that it always sees the other person or groups of people as the problem. What Jesus seems to be doing is having us take a good self-reflecting look in the mirror. Like if I step over, I can see myself there. You can turn around later. Because the person staring back at us in the mirror is the problem. Right? And this is what Jesus is trying to get at. It's not the other or the group of people that we demonize, we're the problem. Now, I was actually stopped dead in my tracks while I was writing this sermon. I generally like people. I generally like to be liked. I don't have a lot of enemies, and that's the way I prefer it, you know? In order to serve our community, something that I've chosen to do is coach girls' high school basketball, which I've done for the last seven years at New Ray Park High School. Most years, I absolutely love coaching. But this year has been a little bit challenging, mostly because of one particular individual, a parent. So this parent has been obnoxious. I've heard and experienced some insults, some negativity, uh, some kind of gestures, screaming at the officials, all kinds of stuff that's going on during these games. And this has been going on for months and months and months. The body language, the negativity, the causing a scene, whatever. It it really didn't sit well with me. I was starting to get really irritated by this guy. I actually thought about, you know, talking to him about it. Um, And then things got personal. And this is where it really escalated, right? He actually was rude and disrespectful to me personally one day in an interaction. And somehow, I was to say that I was upset is the understatement of the year, all right? (laughs) I was, now it's personal. So I'm really upset at this point. I let it go. I went home. I thought about it. My revenge plans in my mind (laughs) are escalating the kinds of things I want to do to this guy. You know, man, I couldn't wait to see him again. Because we were going to, it was go time in my mind, you know. I could could see this feud escalating into something that was really ugly, right? 
And it reminded me of this in the story of Huck Finn, if you've ever read this. Buck describes a feud like this. This is great stuff. He's, Huck says, what's a feud, Buck? And he says, where were you raised? Don't you know what a feud is? He said, never heard of it before. Tell me about it. Well, says Buck, a feud is this way. A man has a quarrel with another man and he kills him. Then that other man's brother kills him. Then the other brothers on both sides goes for one another. Then the cousins chip in. And by and by, everybody's dead. And there ain't no feud anymore. <laughs> but he says, but it's kind of slow and it takes a long time. <laughs> like, this man, this is exactly where my mind was going. I, I was ratcheting this up. This is gonna, we're going to be going at it for, you know, the remainder of the season. And then, sitting here writing this message, I got smacked upside the head with the words of Jesus. I had an important decision to make. Do what I wanted to do, which was seek some revenge, get a little justice. But that meddling Jesus got in the way of my revenge plans. Those that want to follow Jesus Jesus might say today are going to have to find some more creative, some more surprising solutions to difficult people. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then this is the phrase that jumped off the page when I was thinking about this. It says, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. <clears throat> when I was thinking about this, I recognized right then and there that I could not be a child of heaven while plotting out my revenge strategies. These two things did not go together. I had to stop physically, push my keyboard away. I had to pray for my own forgiveness and for my enemy who had insulted me. What makes this even harder is that Jesus isn't asking for our civility but rather for our love for problem people. It's a big difference. Love. Demonizing people. And people groups is so easy, it's almost fun. Our current political climate highlights this all too well. The cycle of hatred for those who represent different positions from ourselves is out of control. Tearing the enemy down is not the solution. In fact, it doesn't work anyway. It only further perpetuates this cycle that Jesus seems to want his followers to break. In order to stop this escalating cycle, in order to be children of God, we're going to need to pursue some more surprising and creative solutions to those whom we consider to be our enemies. This much is what I know for sure. Two words. We have to respond with prayer. And we have to respond with love. This is what Jesus is asking for. And so when we keep these commands, we're called God's sons and daughters. We will experience God in new and more intimate ways. We'll become members of God's family. We're not promised success. We're not promised that our enemies will change their minds. We're not promised that we're going to win. 
But we are promised intimacy with God. That's what we're promised here. More awareness, closer proximity to our loving Father in heaven. Just a day after getting smacked upside the head with the word of God, I had a game. Coached the game. I was standing, waiting, talking to someone else. That someone else left. Now I'm standing there by myself, and here he comes. Walking right toward me. Right? It's decision time. I admit, I cringed a little inside. As he approached, he smiled. That's a first. And he said, great job, coach. And he shook my hand. Talk about a surprise. I was the one that was surprised. The scripture says that God gives gifts to good and bad people alike. Because he loves the world that he made. God lavishes generosity on all people. Even the ones that we do not like. Be perfect, says Jesus, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's a tall order. The call to perfection may be a call to maturity. And so we think that when a child is struck and hit, they almost always lash out and hit back. But a mature adult can choose another way, a more excellent way, a more human way. Maybe the truth is that these Surprising new creative ways of being human are by our nature impossible. But we're going to get a little help along the way. The only way to live them out is probably supernaturally, by faith. Jesus is inviting us to imitate our Heavenly Father, to reflect God's absurd generosity when it comes to dealing with our enemies. He's inviting us into something that he himself has done before us. Think about this. When mocked, Jesus doesn't respond. When challenged, he confronted with surprising stories that made people rethink things. When they beat him, he accepted the pain. When they asked him to carry his own cross, he did so. When they nailed him to the cross, what did he do? He prayed for them. These commands aren't just about us. They're about Jesus. The surprising and astonishing ways that Jesus challenges us to live are the very ways in which he himself lived his life before us. With God's help, all things are possible, even the seemingly impossible. So the challenge might be, let's be a surprising people people who respond to our enemies in new and creative ways, ways that better reflect the absurdly generous love of God, ways that better imitate the Lord Jesus Christ who lived this way out before us, who showed us the way and is in himself the way. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, you have shown us a better way to deal with our enemies. You, in fact, lived this out in Jesus. God, we admit that this is hard for us. 
help us to pray for those whom we struggle to even like. And so, God, we place ourselves at your loving mercy, asking you to deal tenderly with us when we get it wrong. God, we thank you for the chance after chance after chance that you continue to give us. And may our surprising behavior when we get this right cause those around us to stop and think and to reflect on the God in which we are called to imitate. God, we give ourselves to you and we ask for your help, for we all need it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well,